1: A graphic novel, a TV show Well, it's not TV, it's HBO And will this thing succeed? And by how much, man? And some might cheer and some might scoff Because it's Damon Lindelof But either way we're off To watch some Watchmen Watching Watchmen, talking Watchmen, analyzing Watchmen, and maybe arguing over Watchmen.
0: Welcome to Watchmen Watch, a podcast about Watchmen where we're watching you, you're watching us, but who is watching the steering wheel? I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about Chapter 9 of Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' Watchmen, The Darkness of Mere Being, as we get closer and closer to the premiere of Watchmen on HBO. Before we get into that, though, Justin, where's our fourth co-host? What's going on here? I I mean, I
2: sort of feel like I'm uh, Alan's keeper, but, you know, I'm not, Mm -hmm. okay? I'm just who he texts. He texts. Um, but uh, Alan Moore obviously is our fourth host um, I'm his keeper And uh, <laughs> unfortunately he's embroiled um, He was on the phone call between Trump and the U- Ukrainian president So he's oh, being, he's being gotcha. uh, looped in and subpoenaed And testifying before um, for a congressional panel
0: Gotcha Now we should probably mention that we tape these episodes a little bit in advance So uh, whatever we're talking about right now This is a week down the road So most likely... Uh, we're in a different world. Uh, Canada has annexed the United States. Mexico is at war with us. Probably a lot of things have changed. It's uh, so not completely valid. Uh, another thing that's actually changed in the world is the first episode of Watchmen, by the time you're listening to this episode, has already been out there. It's premiered at New York Comic Con. People, including potentially some of us, have uh, seen it already, so we will be talking. Potentially some uh, of us. Yeah, and you saying you've seen it? No, I, I, I'm trying to explain in timeline terms. We taped this a week before, but we taped it 35 minutes ago,
2: right? Yeah, exactly Do you get right. that? You understand? Yeah. Um, Alex, I don't know if you know, but all of time is, uh, is simultaneous. Oh, and okay. It's just small-minded humans mm-hmm. who can't look at more than one edge of the crystal. Right. So we're taping this episode, but also we've already seen the first
0: episode of Watchmen, but we're not talking about it yet because it hasn't happened yet. So there you go.
1: Cool That's way 100%. to clear that up.
0: Yeah, no problem, bro. Speaking of which, let's get into a pretty straightforward issue of a pretty straightforward comic. Now, <laughs> the main thing that you need to know at this point is that Dr. Manhattan has taken Lori to Mars. We saw that happen at the end of the last issue in order to have a conversation with her about potentially saving the entire world. And when right. we say saving the entire world, there's two things going on there. The one that we're not really concerned about with this issue, though we are in the background, is the mystery of what's going on, who this mask killer that Roshark thinks is on the loose is. We're much more concerned with the nuclear annihilation that is very quickly coming towards Earth as tensions ramp up between Russia and the United States as they invade Afghanistan. Uh, so that's the setup here. Uh, Jumping right actually into the beginning of this, because I thought this was so fascinating, this first page, we got a flashback, but from Dr. Manhattan's perspective. And I thought that was such an interesting choice to start off the issue. Why, why do you think that first page shows us information that we've seen before?
2: Well, I think... The, the, through the rereading this issue for the first time in a long time, it makes me realize that uh, Dr. Manhattan is an unreliable narrator or an unreliable mm-hmm. God character in this. Like, he claims to be all powerful, he claims to see things a certain way, and he claims to uh, not have human emotions anymore. Uh, but really, uh, he's not. I, I think he actually is feeling emotions intensely, and I think he, it does latch on to certain events. Um, that he, like, goes back to and have affected him in a large way. And I think that's why we're starting here.
1: Yeah. Also, like, this is the first time I've been a little bit like, uh, okay, we get it with the imagery. I think that, like, um, (laughs) at this point, like, they keep showing things over and over again. And it's, you know, at this point, it's a little, I'm like, all right. You know, you think uh, you think they gotta calm down a little bit? Alan Moore, Dave Givens,
0: what's the big deal? That's what you're saying?
1: Well, I'm just saying not I'm not like that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that like we're 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 falling into a pattern of like a big image, uh, you know, kind of starting things and then it again and like it's important, and then it goes away and then it comes back and it's like mm-hmm. okay. I kind of get it as a storytelling the way that we're kind of uh Going at things. I don't want to ruin anything for you too
0: much, Pete, but there's three more issues, and I can guarantee that's going to happen at least three more times.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ah. Wow. Now
0: who's seeing the future? Right. Uh, I mean, listen, at this point, we're nine inches into this comic. They're not going to be like, eh, forget about a visual teeth that we've been going for. I, I will say... One thing that I do kind of find kind of fascinating, and we talked about this, I believe, on the last podcast a little bit, but I am suspicious with some of the repeated imagery, not all of the repeated imagery, but some of the repeated imagery, that it's more on the level of tone poem than a specific meaning at any point in time. Like, the Hiroshima lovers definitely show up in very specific instances but something like the smiley face button to me it's almost it's a connective fiber that brings the issues together versus a specific meeting every time it shows up i'm probably wrong about that i'm sure people are going to yell at it but curious to get your guys take on it
2: i mean in this issue specifically we see the the smiley face show up on the surface of mars and i think that's not even tone. That's just like a pointed reference to the effect that the comedian has had on all of these characters, the earth, and now mm-hmm. this, the surface of Mars, because as we learn in this issue, uh, and I think this is told perfectly in this, we find out that the comedian is most likely, uh, Laurie's father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way that information is sort of teased out over the course of the issue is so smartly done. It makes you suspicious of that idea. And then it's like, no, oh, that can't be. And it's like, oh, wait, there's another little clue. And then we realize it at the same time that Laurie does. Like mm-hmm. we're having going through the same feeling she is. And it's just perfectly done. And I think that's why the smiling face at the end is so important, because that's like the full epic stamp on the planet saying, yes, he is.
0: And I guess to your point, it's sort of like the comedian's final joke, right? Like he yeah. is, even though his jokes aren't funny, we've already established that he doesn't actually make jokes so much as make true statements. When Lori finds out this ultimate truth that Eddie Blake is, in fact, her father, she puts the pieces together, brings all of her memories together. Yeah. And to your point, it does make this enormous impact uh, on something that is ancient, as John, aka Doctor Manhattan, describes to us over the course of the
2: entire issue. I mean, it's almost the comedian's sort of a cosmic jokester, where it's not mm-hmm. like ha ha, it's like oh, whoa, uh, which is not the the usual comedian's uh, way of way of making the audience laugh. Yeah. No,
1: but uh, it is. It is kind of very DC like, Joker's more twisted than funny, and. The comedian is more fucked up than hilarious.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like he's like the Andrew Dice Clay of the universe. Like, not really funny.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's definitely the Dice Man. Oh, that's (laughs) going to bother Pete. No, the greatest punchline of all time is smoking a cigarette over the top of your head rather than the normal way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I will also say one more thing about the the smiley face. It also, I think, shows how much Laurie affects Dr. Manhattan. Um, Because you're, I think we're we're made to think that he created that smiley face. Um, As Laurie reacts to all this information, I think he's affected by it. He makes the choice to come back to Earth, presumably based on um, their time together on Mars, and maybe subconsciously he put that large smiley face right on the surface as a response or an echo of her feelings.
0: Yeah, to give you, those of you listening, the overview of the issue, I think part of the reason we're bouncing around so much is it's pretty much just one long conversation between Laurie and Dr. Manhattan, and then the other half of the issue is it's interspersed with flashbacks throughout Laurie's life. This is very much the issue focused on her, even though we are focused on a relationship with Dr. Manhattan at the same time. And we get to see her first experiences as a superhero, interacting with the older superheroes, if you could even call them superheroes, they're not really superheroes, Uh, interacting with the comedian, confronting him when she's older, and then ultimately, as you mentioned, Justin, getting Dr. Manhattan around to make this choice. Uh, But it's also a conversation between... Predestination versus choice What governs our lives Are we just Marching through our fate Is everything determined in advance Or can we actually make choices about things And I I would say This issue falls On the side of choice Based on the fact that the Most self-professed Predetermined character, Dr. Manhattan Ultimately does make a choice
2: Well, he makes it you don't see him make the choice. You just see that he's not, it's like a, a flip switch. It's like a light turning on. He's not, he's like, I'm not going to earth for all these reasons. And he's like, I'm going to earth for these other reasons. So it, I don't know. I, I, to me, the, the free will thing is more of like, once you smash something, can you put it back together? Uh, the snow globe, the nostalgia perfume spills out the water that's, they're sharing on the surface of Mars, their relationship, and eventually the world, uh, And it's sort of saying, and then Laurie learning that her dad is the comedian, it's sort of saying, like, I don't think you can change things. Once something's smashed, it's smashed.
0: Well, let's get off of that first page and go through, because there is a funny sequence, I think... Right at the beginning when they show up on Mars uh, and Laurie shows up there, she starts tumbling down a hill. Dr. Manhattan initially doesn't understand what's wrong with her, but he forgot that she can't breathe on Mars and he needs to give her atmosphere. There's also... To your point, Pete, about the recurring motifs, and it's very strong in this issue, um, we see for the second time in this sequence the tumbling bottle of nostalgia perfume, the one that's falling down that eventually smashes by the end of the issue, which I think has a couple of meanings, right? I mean, one thing that we don't know is... Yeah, it's foreshadowing. It's nostalgia, of course. Like, it's memory. It smells like memory. It's slowly coming back to her. But I think there's also, because nostalgia, we haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, is one of the products that Adrian Veidt markets, I think this is a sneaky way of keeping him in the mix and keeping us thinking about him, even if he doesn't show up in the issue himself.
1: Yeah, one thing I would like to talk about is, like, yeah, it is kind of ridiculous that he forgets that oh Lori uh, has to breathe. Like he just gets, you know, like, Oh yeah, um, sorry about that. I'm and, you know, he's kinda of absent minded professor. But one of the things that like you know, we talk about how great this uh the art and a lot of great things about this comic, how have of a time it is. But the tough part is as far as female characters are concerned, this falls very, very, very short. Like, you know, Lori doesn't really have you know, she meanders, you know, it's a lot about the sexual assault, a lot about, like, that kind of stuff. And then you get the drawing of her, and she ends up on her knees in front of him, you know, right right in front of his blue penis, and then, like, he touches her mouth to open her up again. And it's like, come on, guys, you know what I mean? So that part is tough. I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say as far as female and female, you know, like characters and being able to pass certain tests and stuff like that, it falls very short, and like you know you'd like to think that you know how uh, you know the the dressing of the female characters and that kind of stuff that that all sucks but um it's just kind of ridiculous how we get these kind of repetitive like sexualized stuff uh with the female characters and at, like this point, I'm kind of sick of the repeating of like the first and last. And then that kind of stuff as well. I
0: I hear what you're saying, Pete, and I think you are right. You know, honestly, it did not occur to me with the finger to mouth drawing. But now that I look at it, I think you're absolutely correct there. But I do think at least I will give this issue credit that it does tackle Laurie's main issue, Laurie's main problem head on, which is that for most of her life, she hasn't made any choices. She's kind of just gone with the flow. She's done what her mother wanted her to do. She's done what other heroes thought she should do. Other people fed her ideas. She just went with Dr. Manhattan because she thought that would be a good idea and she could help out him and her entire life for decades was all about Dr. Manhattan. And ultimately as much as Dr. Manhattan needs to realize that the world is important enough to save she needs to realize that she herself is important. And I think that is what she does realize by the end of the issue.
2: When I think to, to take the other side of it, like she's kept in the dark by all of the people close to her about Sort of all of the big things in her life And we see in all these flashbacks that, um, Like her, her mother's keeping her in the dark About so many important things uh, The comedian doesn't talk to her is Again just like sort of keeping her on the outside Like she's treated like an object by everyone So of course yeah. it's hard for her to make decisions She doesn't know She doesn't have enough information And people are always just sort of moving her Where they think she needs to go With the information that, that she has I also think it's funny that you're like, uh, it, it definitely reads like Dr. Manhattan forgot that she couldn't breathe. But I, I don't know. It feels intentional. I think there's another mm-hmm. way to read it, that he is, it is a power play. This whole thing, bringing her to the planet, is a power play. He, she scorned him, and he's like a cold dick, a uh, cold blue dick about it um, the whole time, I think. And he is, the, if this guy knows everything about everyone, how is he forgetting that she needs oxygen?
1: Yeah, especially if he knows where they're going to fight. Oh, he can't remember that, you know, this is the part where she falls down and he ne- needs oxygen. You know, uh, this very much represents kind of like the male woman, kind of like what's important, what's not uh, throughout this comic, which is a little sad. Well, I think to Justin's point, what he's doing is basically like, oh, I don't need you. I've got
0: a cool clockwork house on Mars now. Yeah, I'm it's, so, it's such a
2: boyish – it's like first girlfriend broke up with this dude, and he's like, oh, I'm actually cool right now. I have a palace on Mars, and yeah, um, I totally, know what you're going to yeah. say and do, and um, I i don't care about the Earth at all. So you, why don't you just go back home because I don't care about the Earth at all.
0: Yeah. I've moved on. It's also – to get back to what Pete was saying, it is very gaslighting behavior on his part. Yeah. Yeah. Which, even if he does have the power to see everything at the same time, him being like, yeah, I know what you're going to say. I know exactly what you're like. You're going to do this. And then trick yeah, you into doing that. Gaslight-y. Yeah, it's very gaslighting. Yeah,
2: uh, it's very Dr. Manhattan was the original gaslighter in chief. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Uh, And that's why Alan Moore was on that call. And that's why he's appearing in front of Congress.
0: Exactly. As long as that's still valid, unless it's not, in which case. (laughs) Uh, okay. so uh, I do want to talk about one thing that I believe came up in our Patreon slack. Somebody brought this up and it really stuck with me. This issue. No, I'm sorry, actually I think somebody tweeted this at us. Uh what is Lori smoking? And I don't mean like, yo, what yep. she's smoking. I mean like literally what is she smoking right. throughout that this comic book?
1: It caught me when I was a kid. It didn't I didn't think about it, but now I'm like, I don't think that that's a cigarette the way she's relying on it, you know. So what is it? You think she's she's high? I think it's
2: hash, man. Yeah. 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 I don't know hash what hash part- is, but it's that. Uh, I mean, I don't know. The way they talk about it, it just feels like a future cigarette. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a future cigarette where you put the tobacco in a big ball in the front and then light it. Yeah.
2: So are you saying maybe they're not on Mars at all? She's just too fucked up to realize that they're in like Doc Manhattan's apartment?
1: Yeah,
2: Yeah, that's probably it. it. They're probably just like a bunch of regular bros, and she's getting real
0: high. And I think, I haven't read this in a while, so maybe this is what happened. But at the end, she'll be like, yo, I got so fucking high. You were there, and you were blue, and you were wearing a weird mask, and Rush act like, whatever, man. Party on, dudes.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of, definitely, that's the way to read this. Uh, <laughs> real party vibes.
1: Now, uh, also, I, I also would like to say that, like, this is the creepiest way to look at a snow globe, and, like, of all the different angles... And shading, like uh, it, it, like that snow globe image. It's repeated, and it bothers me because it kind of like freaked me out as a kid. But seeing it now, I'm like, God damn, it's still so creepy. It is creepy, yeah. Well, there's so it. much
0: going on in that one image. You're getting, of course, the button from the comedian again, which is part of who Laurie is, as we know by the end of the issue. You're getting uh, the, uh, the the Palace in there, which is reminiscent of Dr. Manhattan's palace. Uh, the fact that she doesn't have any features other than a smile and eyeballs, that's very indicative of who Lori is. She's looking at people, she's seeing the world, she's smiling and looking pretty for them, but she's not seeing herself as anything else at this point. Uh, and the other reason uh, I, I agree with you in a certain sense, Pete about the visual motifs. I understand where you're coming from and I understand what you're saying. But here, what I think is so brilliant about the way Dave Givens lays this out, and it's probably an Alan Moore script as well, is this is how memory works. You don't, you don't progress linearly through memory. You flash to things out of order. You have the same uh, images like here. She talks about her earliest image is seeing the snow globe and slowly she works out before that, and she works out after that as she grabs more and more of that memory. But it's really just that flash. And uh, maybe this is just me, but that's certainly how my memory works.
1: Yeah. I I also think it was interesting.
2: Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, is she getting juiced a little bit by Doc Manhattan's powers to really take her to these different moments? He sort of talks to her like... Like she is, like he's like guiding her into these intense I memories. Think so, to help I mean, it might be where he wants,
0: yeah. I mean, part of it might be that he knows where the conversation is going because it's all happening simultaneously for him. So, he is just walking her along that path of, Well, this is the thing that I say now that gets her closer and closer to this revelation. Uh, it might also be her wacky tobacco that's doing it, you know, mm-hmm. really opening up her mind.
1: Now, also, yeah. I didn't, the first time around um, reading it, I didn't realize that, like, he kind of, this floating castle is also kind of like the castle in the snow globe.
0: Yeah. 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 Yes, exactly. I, He's always been there. Uh, one other thing that we touch on in this issue of the memories, uh, which is important to note, uh, because I think it was only really established in the back matter, is that Laurie's mom, Sally, married her agent, but as is strongly implied by this issue, carried on an ongoing affair with Eddie Blake that ultimately led to the conception of Laurie. Uh, what what do we think about that? Because I think that's the other thing that's very complicated from a 2019 perspective to say. I don't know how familiar you are with the musical carousel, but there's this uh, phrase of the musical carousel where they ultimately come around to there's this guy, Billy Bigelow who hits the lady he's in love with. And by the end, she's like, you know, sometimes, sometimes a hit can feel like a kiss. Oh. And this very old musical doesn't really hold up that way in a modern context. No. My wife yeah. and I have had lots of conversations about it because I love Carousel just based on the emotion in it and the musical. <laughs> she hates it very specifically because of that. I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. But this feels very similar to that. Where Ooh, like,
2: Alex and his wife, musical
0: fight.
1: <laughs> Ooh, oh, like Trouble in Paradise. That's, Whatever, that's man. hard to overlook that, that part and, and pull that out of the movie and say it's still cool. Listen, man, we, uh, we have a real first act, second act, Into the Woods
0: relationship. Can't be oh, yeah. one of the two. You know what I'm talking about. I know,
2: you know. what you're talking about, dude. <laughs> Pete,
0: you get it, right? I hate when you do that. <laughs> when do we do what? Uh, Well, but what I do want to talk about is the Eddie Blake of it all, because not only did Sally carry on an affair with him, but I think through the way Alan Moore writes it and through the way Dave Givens draws him in particular, it's hard not to feel some sympathy for Eddie Blake in this issue. Pete, you're nodding your head no, absolutely not under no circumstances.
1: Yeah, man, come on, man you know like let's not sympathize with this dude to sexual assaults you know what i mean like uh,
2: well i will say i think uh to your point alex i think the scene um the first time we see him in the issue um where uh he's sort of like sees Laurie for the first time and is like I think you see him feel like, oh, wow, this is my daughter and she's grown up. So I think you do get that feeling. Later, I think when he looks more like a monster, he's meant to be seen as a monster.
0: See, I didn't get that. There's... Uh, let's jump ahead. So there's, you mentioned that first scene. The second scene is at a party when Lori is older, she's now read under the hood, the Hollis Mason book. So she's very well aware of the allegations of rape, which we know are true because we saw them happen in the comic book. Uh, but there's a series of two panels where, uh, Lori confronts him. Uh, And she says, damn straight, damn straight, I do. I mean, what kind of man are you? Uh, You have to take some women, you have to force her into having sex against her will. And Eddie Blake says, only once. Now, the thing there is such a brilliant turn of phrase because the implication to her is, uh, I only raped her once. But it's actually, no, I only had to force her once. All of the other times were consensual. But what I take away from... Dave Givens drawing of Eddie Blake in this panel is there's a softness and sadness in the eyes because he realizes he's never going to win Lori, his daughter over to his side. He's never going to have that. He's older now. He's lost Sally, who I think whatever you say about him, he probably had some sort of genuine emotion for. And I do think that doesn't forgive anything he did, but it's rather fascinating to layer in those complex emotions for him.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I take that, that panel is the only one's panel is great. And you do feel like he's, there's something in there that's still like feeling regret and loss for that whole thing. But two panels before that, he's just such a regular Dick <laughs> and so dismissive uh, that uh, I don't know it, it's a, it's a complicated that's what's so good about this book is these characters are all super complicated, and we only get these tightly compacted bits of their lives,
1: yeah, I think that is one of the things I mean all of these ca- characters are kind of like we see how horrible they are and how tormented and all the things like that um so yeah it's it's just hard it's just it's just such a weird thing that he's like. I almost feel like at this point in the book, like someone gave them notes like, Hey guys, this is pretty dark. And they tried to like, be like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, he only raped her once. Cause that's a thing. Like, uh, you know, I don't, it's, it's really weird. I don't, I don't
0: think that anybody was giving them notes like that. Uh, I'm sure Probably they developed be-
1: Not back then. You know?
0: Yeah. Not, not back in pre notes times. Um, yeah, no, I think what they were dealing with is that, people are complicated. It doesn't forgive their actions, but they can have emotional lives at the same time. And to be clear, I don't have sympathy for Eddie Blake, but I do think they do an effective job of eliciting that sympathy and then making you realize, Oh God, I just felt sympathy for this monster and making you feel bad about yourself while you're reading it, which is what Laurie feels like when it, it ramps you up very well to the, her realization of, Oh God, this man, this monster was my father. I don't, I am feeling so many things at the same time. I can't deal with them. And that's when at the end of the issue, she collapses. Yeah. But but I did want to jump back and I wanted to talk about Mars a little bit uh, because we get these gorgeous, expansive pages From Dave Givens, with John Higgins coloring throughout. He's mostly used red for danger and blood and terror. Uh, And here, certainly, we get that. But uh, it's mostly for the wonderful, wide expanse of Mars. And it's so beautifully done.
2: Yeah, and it it really is. And I think it's it's meant to really put us on the side of Dr. Manhattan, choosing this planet over Earth, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it all comes tumbling down like so many things. They expose too much of all of this, and it, it all falls to pieces, and Dr. Manhattan has to return to Earth.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do like how, you know, Lori kind of uh, messes up his perfect little, uh, you know, toy that he makes. Uh, and I think that even if he saw that coming or whatever, it's a, it's a very powerful way for her to be like, you know, fuck all this.
2: Well, he definitely saw it coming because the force the force field that they need to not get hit by all the junk is already up, like, before it's even crumbling. And I also think he doesn't need this little uh, bachelor pad anymore because he's gotten her back. Like, he, oh. she's back in his thrall by the end of this issue. And he, so he's like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll leave with you. I knew this was coming and this is what I wanted is to be in control of the situation again. Now,
0: so let's talk about this, this moment. This guy's a, for a giant minute. blue dick, man. You keep saying that. You keep. You're very focused on his dick. He's more than just a dick. He's also got a butt. He's got some <laughs> hot abs.
2: Nice abs. Yeah, nice now, abs. Don't you think he like like he makes those abs like he didn't earn them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Know? yeah. I don't I come see on, him working out. I don't see him doing
1: crunches in the morning. Yeah.
0: yeah. Rude. Super rude. Also, he's bald. What yeah, I mean, put some hair back do? on there, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're God. That's uh, absolutely. I would. I would understand Doctor Manhattan a little better if he had like a flowing mullet. To be perfectly honest with you,
2: I like the idea that he's like I can see through time. I control all molecular matter, but I can't crack this bald shit. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> can't. One- can't I do. I do, it. I do appreciate the fact that you said mullet. You know, because he is business in the front. Yeah, he's uh, Doctor Manhattan. That was
0: in the original outline that Alan Moore wrote down. He was like, Dr. Manhattan, colon, party in the back.
1: Yeah. That's all (laughs) I said.
2: When you say party in the back, what do you mean in this? Like, where is the party in the back for Dr. Manhattan? His butt. (laughs) Ah, gotcha. Is that what mullet means? When you say party in the back, you're meant to, it's about the butt? Yeah, it's it's like a, you know, a buck party.
0: Uh, let's talk about the snow globe a little bit uh, and what it means for Dr. Manhattan. Now, it's pretty clear what the imagery here means for Laurie, where she drops the snow globe. It breaks. The castle bursts out. She explains... There was nothing inside. There was nothing magical. It was just water. That's when she kind of realized what the world was like. At the same moment that's happening, she's throwing the nostalgia perfume. That bursts open. That leaks the perfume everywhere. And the castle that Dr. Manhattan built that is similar to the castle that was in the snow globe crumbles into bits. Again, pretty clear what that means for Laurie and everything that's going on with her. Her world is falling apart, etc., etc. It's breaking out of, but it's also widening out at the same time because it's breaking out of her snow globe. But my question is, what does it mean for Dr. Manhattan? Because he built this clockwork castle because he was so connected to the clockworks several issues back. That was yep. his formative experience. So what does it mean that he is willing to give it up at this point?
2: I think it's time uh for mm-hmm. him to do that i mean he's he talks about in this issue he's, there's a section of time coming up that he doesn't can't see through
1: so yeah, i think uh, the,
2: the clock the gears are sort of uh unspooling, and so it's time for him to also do that but like I said, it's also about like he doesn't need any of this anymore uh he's got he's got her back that's what sort of the function of this time was why he left earth, and now he can go back and it's all.
1: He's throwing the clock away. Yeah. Also, I'd like to point out, though, that like, you know, sometimes breaking shit is very freeing, uh, but sometimes not so much, you know, it really depends on what you're throwing against the wall and destroying, you know? Yeah. Wow,
2: um, it makes me have a lot of questions about what you're talking about, Pete.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do what kind of the... stuff is cool to break? Yeah, what, what's cool to break, Pete? Um, I would say like... Uh, things that are glass that really shatter, you know, are fun to break against something. Okay. Yeah. What's uh, not fun to break? Knives. Um, no, just the things that are like if you throw them, they they stay together. It doesn't give you that big shatter effect, you know. Oh, uh, like, like a rock. like
0: a couple that's really in love.
1: Oh wow! <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're the
0: rock, Pete. Uh speaking of rocks I did want to get back to that moment with the comedian smiley face on Mars because I've I love the way this is laid out where Over the course of two pages, the last two pages of the issue, we see the smiley face filling the entire panel, and this isn't a nine-panel grid, this is three panels per page. So first it's filling the entire panel, it's everything, it's the whole world. Then you cut back and you see Mars, and it's still very much a part of it, and you realize, okay, it's as big as a crater, which we've already been told in the issue is enormous, it's huge. And then we keep pulling back and we see all of Mars until finally Mars disappears and it's Nothing, and I think what you're ultimately left with is the argument that Laurie and Doctor Manhattan are making that there are smiles thi- fade, smiles fade, uh, okay. smiles fade, but a frown is forever. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the lesson No, what I was going to say is I, I think you're left with the question still of is human life actually important or is it nothing in the span of the universe?
2: Whoa. Uh, I mean, big question, Alex. Um, <laughs> well, I'll let's tell figure you, it out on this podcast, just real yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, can we just figure yeah. it out real quick? Listeners, have you've been tuning in for a while, now we get into the real shit. Is, <laughs> meaning, is there any meaning in life? And I'll tell you what, I don't know. I think in this comic, it's just a bunch of people smashing into each other, and that's the joke of the comedian, is that he died to start the story. He's not even in the story as a real person, he's just a looking back thing and it all just spins and spins and spins and it doesn't amount to anything for him.
1: That's really well thought out, Justin. Pete, what about you? What's the meaning of life? Uh, I I think uh, you kind of got to look at the guy reading the comic book about life while life is happening, you know. Uh, He gets to kind of like sample life and sample little worlds one one comic at a time and, you know, you enjoy it for as long as you can until it's over. So yep.
2: life is comics.
1: Yeah. Nice. Well, I got to say, if you ask me what the meaning of
2: life is, it's getting high on hash and partying in the back. You know what I'm talking about? Wow. Yeah. So to, so to summarize that, Alex, you mean partying in your butt? Yep. <laughs> life, life is partying in Absolutely your butt? Absolutely. Hash, <laughs> hashy hash butt party. Uh, and then the
0: back matter the back matter is all sorts of stuff about Sally Jupiter. And this is all so fascinating. We haven't spent a ton of time with the character of Sally Jupiter. And I feel like not only do you really get confirmation of the history with Eddie, but you find out more about her. You find out about the time you find out about how important superheroing was to her, which is to say, not as much as the merchandising rights. And in a certain way, it ties into what's going on with Adrian Veidt, uh, where we found out about the action figures a couple of issues back. Um, And in a a certain way, I would say she started that off, right? Like she was the person that said, hey, it's not all about doing good and punching people. You can make a little money
2: off of it at the same time. And based on this last little news article, you can make a, a bad pornography as well. Yes, exactly. Uh, any other
0: thoughts about this issue before we wrap up, Pete? Anything else you want to say?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, when I first re- uh, read this through, I kind of stopped reading the interview after the first sentence because it was such a like uh, stupid sexist thing to to say that I stopped reading. Um, and then when I, for this, I read the whole thing and I was like, oh my God, there's so much more reveal, but it started out as such a stupid, typical, like, so it's all about the sex, right? Yeah. You well, gotta what go what out works there and with look me, hot.
0: Yeah. But what works about that is that's what magazines are like, you know? Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before, yeah. but Alan Moore is really excellent, At aping the style of a lot of things And here in this back matter We get a news article We get a handwritten note We get typed notes from different people We get a movie review We get an interview uh, in a magazine That as you said is all about like Sex and pushing buttons A very Cosmo style thing Though maybe a little deeper Let's say Vanity Fair Nice dude (laughs) Yeah, Way to draw that line Yes Uh, So It's stunning. Like, it's stunning to read that stuff and be like, oh, okay, the same guy wrote all of this stuff.
2: Yeah, it's just such a complete package from top to bottom. This whole comic.
0: Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Listen you guys are good stuff as well and if you would like to support our podcast patreon.com slash comic book club also we do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York come on down we'll chat with you about Watchmen couple of places you can check out the podcast Watchmen Watch podcast on both Instagram and Facebook Watchmen Watch 1 on Twitter comic book club live for this podcast and more also you can subscribe and comment please do comment on iTunes Android Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. And remember, we taped this podcast
2: 35 minutes ago. Uh, Alan texted, just texted me, and he said he's definitely going to be here next week.